the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into hour two of our daily three hour tour. Uh, it, to say a privilege and honor and delight to welcome uh, our upcoming guest here would be an understatement to all those words. This is an interview one might say I've been looking forward to to over 30 years when I read a book he wrote in 1990 called The Content of Our Character, A New Vision of Race. In America, I'll just very quickly state I was in Claremont at the time. It came out around the same time the phrase political correctness was coming on the scene and people who were trying to talk about political correctness would often hold up this book as an example of what it means not to be politically correct. But he was philosophically smart and prescient. He is, of course, Professor Dr. Shelby Steele. He is the Robert and Marion Oster, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and the author of so many important books since the content of our character. Any number of books from How America's Past Shame, How America's Past Sins Have Polarized Our Country, uh, uh, White Guilt, How Blacks and Whites Together Destroyed the Promise of the Civil Rights Era. He is Dr. Shelby Steele. And though the left often says we need to have a serious and honest conversation about race as they prescind and remove anyone who disagrees with their a priori positions on race, we're going to have one right now. Dr. Steele, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> Well, well-earned and well-deserved, sir. I could do so much more, but the audience and I would like to hear from you. Let me work backwards just a little bit, and then I'll, and then I'll get us to current times, because I've been talking a lot lately about the modern uh, civil rights, um, if that's the right word for it, the modern civil rights uh, activist intellectuals, uh, the Ibram Kendi's, the uh, Rava de Angelis. So I want to I work our way there. But first – Sir, if I might, you know, you wrote that book back in 1990, The Content of Our Character. Would you have been able to guess in your wildest dreams that, you know, 30 years later, it would be wrong? It is deemed wrong. It is deemed, in fact, racist to even invoke that phrase of Martin Luther King Jr.'s? No, I didn't. I, I, I thought we faced the danger of that. But I can't honestly say that, that, that back at that time in 1990 and thereabouts that I, I would I, I would have bet against it. I would I would think we knew better and that, that we might turn the corner quicker. Uh, but alas, that that's not what happened. Uh, today, there's even less tolerance and and uh, and more correctness than there ever was. Uh, it squelches everything. Did you think perhaps the election and I, you know, I know we can never we can never rest our laurels on one thing one time any more than democracy is one vote one time. But did you think we would be where we are or that we would have even gone through the summer that we did two years ago with the riots after the election of a black president in America? 
Well, I thought, uh, and I actually wrote a book about this, yep. that president yep. and so forth. Uh, and I thought America was was putting. I think he was elected out of the hope in America that 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 his election would in itself do that, mm. take us ahead, get us over that hump in terms of race and civil rights and so forth. I never believed that for a minute. Okay. Um, I thought I've always thought that that that's a kind of shallow sort of quick take, dark skinned black guy president. We're not racist, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just history doesn't move like that. There, there are more things that America has to come to terms with, had to come to terms with, more things that Black Americans and White Americans had to had to uh, digest and and work through, and we weren't there, and so it was a it, it was, his election was an object lesson. In, in let's do it the real way. Let's do it instead of doing it by some racial code. Uh, let's do it by the traditional values that make sense, that actually uplift people, that give people an idea of citizenship and a way to relate to each other that's that's uh, more civilized than, than simply relating on the basis of our color. Pretty primitive notion for a society this, this advanced. Dr. Steele, if I'm reading you right or hearing you right, and feel free to, you know, obviously contradict anything I say, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. You don't need me to. Um, is is the notion or was the notion that electing the first black president would get us over a major, uh, I don't know, hump or stereotype or lack of self-confidence in our pluralistic society? Was the notion of pinning it on the presidency of one man, two-term presidency of one man, but the presidency of one man? Is that a version of some of the stuff you've been writing about in your career outside of uh, English literature, of course, which is what you were a professor Mm of, affirmative action and racial preferences, an easy, cheap fix that doesn't have long-term consequences to deal with underlying problems? Would you say they're analogous, those two things, affirmative racial – race preferences, affirmative action, and the election of a black president? I would. I would. Absolutely. Let me let me let me just for a minute. I think there's a there's a deeper issue okay. here that that I think is still uh, we're still writing and we still fall prey to that temptation uh, uh, to to take the easy way out when it comes to race. Mm-hmm. You can't have a society if you look at a single society that for four entire centuries commits this horrid act of oppression. And wrong in every way. Uh, and then all of a sudden, say, oh, my God, it was horrible. It was wrong. We fought. We've, we've overcome that and so forth. It's going to take some time to work through all of that. Uh, it's going to take time for the former victims and the former oppressors. Uh, our relations are... Uh, Talked about white guilt. Um, white guilt is, a, I think, a real and profound problem in in, in terms of where we're at. White, white, we have a we have white America backed into a corner um, where they lack the moral authority that they once had, and that lack of moral authority causes us uh, causes America to betray its own values in many cases. 
to lower its values, to defer to uh, weakness, to get rid of the SAT test, to lower the standards here, and, and saying that if we show deference, somehow we will redeem ourselves from that horrible past, that racist past. And then that, of course, creates what we have among minorities is this big grievance industry. Well, now I can make money and get jobs and get a career based on my race by saying this is, this is the, I'm an opportunity for America to overcome its racism. And so we're, we're still divided in this, in, in, in dealing in terms of race. And, uh, because we haven't stopped and looked at those traditional values. The Founding Fathers, the Constitution, the, the Judeo-Christian traditions um, that have given us the most advanced uh, society in the history of the world. And we'll, we'll do that again if we give them a if we have the courage to, to stand up to the challenges that face us. Uh, instead of saying that, well, what we'll do is we'll lower the SAT exam for black students. Why don't we say that what we'll, we'll, we will develop those students so that they can compete on the same terms as every, everybody else? But we use this sort of racial gimmickry uh, to avoid the real challenges, and we don't, as a result of that, we just don't get anywhere. And that, I think, is the, this, it's, it's really a, it's a difficult word, but it's the only one I can think of is the, the symbiosis between black and white Americans, where, where we as blacks trade on our history as victims. Whites, on the other hand, then give us, uh, do, do a kind of uh, negotiation with us, give us all sorts of social programs and public housing and school busing and the Great Society and uh, affirmative action and diversity and equity and inclusion and all this empty garbage uh, to not because they want to solve the problems, but because they're, they, that's the only thing that fends off the stigma of, uh, the, of being called a racist that, that whites live under the threat of at this point. I, I'm glad so you used the word, themselves. no, I'm glad you used the word stigma because you've used that phrase in another context as well that I wanted to raise with you. I want to return to that point after this commercial break if I can. And talk to you a little bit about that notion of white guilt. Is it is it as bad or worse or not as bad or as or worse than racism? Or do you think it's actually responsible in part for fueling racism or at least, at least racialism and race consciousness in our society? Can we pick up on that on the other side of this break? Professor Steele, I would appreciate it. Dr. Shelby Steele is our guest for the hour, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, professor of literature and a great scholar. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Professor Shelby Steele from the Hoover Institution is our guest. Professor, uh, right before the break, you were talking about white guilt in uh, the conversation we're having about race and racism. Is white guilt, by your lights, um, as bad, worse, um, maybe it doesn't even count on a score of racism in America today? Or do you think it may be, in fact, often fuels race consciousness in America. I wonder what your sense is comparing those two, two, two things, white guilt and racism. 
Well, I think white guilt is is something that's inevitable given America's history. I grew up in, I'm a little older, I grew up in segregation itself in Chicago and, and uh, segregated schools, segregated everything. Uh, and I know how, how brutal and dehumanizing that experience that was. Uh, most people of my generation still believe racism is here and, and around every corner and so forth. I don't. I think America has made enormous uh, moral progress in overcoming this long, long practice of racism in, in American society. Uh, and it gets virtually no credit for that. But I think they have, we, we, we have to start from that reality that America has changed, has evolved morally around race. And that is a wonderful thing and a good thing. On the other hand, we use that now. The fact that, that whites have, have owned, began to own up to, to with racism in the 60s. We as blacks sort of use that as a stick to hit them with. Here's, here's leverage. Here's power in American life. Uh, we, go, we can go into one institution after another and and we can, uh, as you talking about today, diversity and equity and all these, we now have a presence, a powerful presence in American life uh, because whites, it's not that they have real guilt. White guilt is not real guilt. White guilt is the anxiety, that, that one, the vulnerability of being judged as a racist when one knows full well that one isn't mm -hmm. a racist. Mm -hmm. um, and so blacks then say, well, that's our power. We can manipulate them. We can pressure them. And so most of our reform has been a reform designed to give way, give whites away uh, to prove that they're not racist, that they support Black Lives Matter, that they go along with every diversity scheme in the world, that they, so forth, they bend over backwards. They get lower the standards for black students who, uh, and and so forth, because they're they're not solving any any problems, but they're proving that they're innocent, that they don't they vote for Obama and so forth. White guilt keeps coming up with this this kind of perpetual uh, machinery that produces social programs and spends literally since the '60s trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars, and of course today blacks are farther behind than they were in the 60s. We've declined as white guilt, as, as white racism has receded. We have as, as declined and and uh, precipitously declined. In we every mean the black community. The black, the, the black community. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Uh -huh. The black community. Uh, look at educational levels, divorce rates. Uh, you know, you, Single you pick parent, the area and you, welfare, you will yeah. see yeah, well, so for you will see decline. Well, we have we have made the mistake of assuming that our power is our ability to threaten whites with 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 the idea that they're racist. So we, rather than develop and overcome four centuries of oppression uh, through development, hard work, reading, writing, math, etc., education, 
Rather than do that, we keep manipulating them by calling them racist, and they get nervous, and they give us programs. And, and this symbiotic relationship between white America and black America keeps us all backwards, moving backwards rather than moving then moving forward to a place where we might be able to relate simply as citizens of the United States, all of whom are do the same rights and, and, and owe the same responsibility. One of the uh, but thing- it's hard to do that when, you're, when you are, as, as whites are, so unbelievably uh, stressed and anxious over this, this power that, that uh, minorities now have. Uh, and don't quite know what to do about it. Well, the stress and anxiousness is an interesting description because you use the phrase uh, you use the phrase uh, that segregation. I wrote it down here. People don't realize how brutal and dehumanizing it was. I don't want to over romanticize. I'm a big uh, a, a big subscriber, follower, reader, voracious reader of everything Martin Luther King did. So I don't want to over over romanticize what Martin Luther King stood for and did in this sense, the sense that it's unfortunate he had to do it. I, I want people to understand that as wonderful as he was, and I can't think of anyone as wonderful in the 1960s as him. It's unfortunate. The cause that gave him the need to uh, prove 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 what he was to civil rights. What he did, though, I think, in a magic sense, Doctor Steele, was unite the entire country, or as much as the country as could be united around a concept we could all be united around, which was the beneficence and decency of America's founding promise. Ah, White said, "Okay, I get it. We can do this because it's really who we are, because it's really who we should have been from the get go. And we can all unite around that. And I do believe that the anxiety you're describing is now coming from so many people getting on board with that unifying theme around our founding ethic, only to be told now, no, 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 no. We have to go and resegregate society. You thought. 30, 40, 50 years ago, desegregation was the idea? No, no. The Ibram Kendis and the Robin DeAngelos tell us we need to resegregate. We need to resegregate schools, classrooms, dorms, safe spaces at universities, workplaces. That's what I think is causing anxiety in some sense. We all kind of got on board with it or we're getting close to it. I don't want to overstate it, of course, only to be told, wait, you're turning left. We got to turn right. It's it is uh, it's one thing, and again, it's something that's difficult to say. Uh, but you don't go through come from a people uh, as they do as I do, who underwent four centuries right. again, a brutal right. and dehumanizing, and 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 one of the things is it's what I call the shock of freedom. Can I pause you on that? That sounds like a big thing. We have to hit a quick commercial break. The shock of freedom. Let's pick up on that when we come back. It is a delight uh, that I can say we will be right back with Dr. Shelby Steele from the Hoover Institution. Hoover.org. Any number of his books. uh, Well, just pick one. You won't go wrong because you know what will happen? You'll pick up the rest too. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Shelby Steele. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Professor Shelby Steele is our guest from the Hoover Institution. Professor, you were just before the break talking about uh, the shock of freedom, your phrase, the shock of freedom after uh, centuries of uh, – of uh, dehumanization and brutality. Uh, talk to me about what you, and the audience what you mean by the shock of freedom. Well, one of the things that's, that we we I don't think in America have adequately dealt with is the experience of oppression. Mm-hmm. To to live a, in an oppressed group um, puts you in a dehumanizes you. Uh-huh. Uh, I think one of the great uh, and most heroic stories in human history is the journey of black Americans from slavery into freedom. Uh, and both races need to be complemented on the basis that because it took two races, America fought profoundly against the idea of of slavery and so forth and and, and uh, has to be has to be honored for that. I thank God every morning I'm, uh, that I'm an American. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what, what a what a blessing to have those kind of ideas that finally liberated Black Americans from oppression. Mm-hmm. But then the problem is you get hit with freedom. Mm-hmm. You're free. Free is a very st- freedom is a very stark thing. It doesn't tell you what to do anymore. It doesn't put barriers where they used to be. You have a level of responsibility that is a thousandfold what it was when you were oppressed. Now you really are entirely responsible for your own fate. And that level of responsibility is daunting. When you are underdeveloped, you, oppression has prevented you from educational development, from cultural evolution, from all the things that give the former oppressor, an advantage over you. So freedom looks like a duplication of oppression. You're still behind. And today, black Americans are growing more and more behind every day. Uh, because we don't, the one thing we don't have experience with is freedom. And the did, level did we of hobble that as a that so- did we hobble that as a society by going, say, from the non-discriminatory ethic, uh, one might even call it a colorblind ethos in the 1964 Civil Rights Act and, and the messaging there? Did we did we make the problem worse by by going from there to immediately going to racial preferences, saying no judgment on color, race, ethnicity, etc.? But we're going to now do that. In a positive Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Okay. The, the greatest We hijacked that, that we, travel, in other words, that trip, we, that we, journey. We did it, yes. And and um, the greatest uh, advice ever given was by Frederick Douglass, who was Lincoln's advisor and so forth. And he was asked after the Civil War, what do we do with all the people, all the blacks we now who are coming out of slavery? Uh, and Frederick Douglass said, leave us alone. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, boy, it sounds it's it's you know if you it sounds brutal, but that's freedom. Freedom demands that you assume responsibility for your own life, no matter what oppression you may have endured. You now have the opportunity to be to develop and to become competitive with the rest of the world. Uh, we, because because we 
gain freedom in the same society that oppressed us, the oppressors sort of wanted, they became involved, much more involved in the, the moral debate over uh, what, how they redeemed themselves from this shame than in our actual underdevelopment. Mm-hmm. So we're still, we're, we're less developed. I got a better education in segregated schools in the 50s than you get today, blacks mm. get today. Mm. Uh, well, and yet, you know, we've got racial preferences and affirmative action and all these things, all of which have failed and will continue to fail. And they create an artificial inflation, don't they, that reifies phrase I think you also said, right? The permanent stigma of questionable competence, wasn't that your phrase? Yes, that's that's the you know my my who's the poster girl now for affirmative yeah action? I wanted to talk Kamala to you about Harris. that I wanted to yeah uh, this was a short segment let me take this break we have a long one coming up I want to get into that and then some of the stuff that Ibram Kendi is uh, trying to sell to us I'm Seth Liebson he's Professor Shelby Steele what a gifted public intellectual that uh, this country is gifted to have Doctor Shelby Steele and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Professor Shelby Steele from the Hoover Institution is our guest. Uh, Doctor Steele, let me let me let me. You've you've raised some poignant and and uh, as you said, uncomfortable points. Let me let me raise an uncomfortable question based on what we were just talking about. Um, in the twenty twenty election and just subsequent to it, all these stories about Kamala Harris being a great role model for young women, young minority women, men, women, people of minority, they can, people of minority status. Uh, what a great role model she would be. You've seen the headlines. I've recited them here uh, many, many times. Uh, and that she would be a great representation. Now, all of this was based on only two things. It wasn't her accomplishments. It was her race and gender. So if she's good or a role model because of her race and gender, what happens if she turns out to fail? Do people – is it an instantiation of a concern over, you know, this phrase you talked about, the permanent stigma of questionable competence? Isn't that what we're talking about here a little bit? She makes racism a plausible position. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, what else can you conclude? You uh, you have advertised to the moon that she's in there only because she's she's black, mm-hmm. and yet she's clearly the most incompetent uh, vice president in, in memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, easily, uh, no one even argues with that. Uh, but she's there because she's black. Do you understand the level of hum- slavery? Didn't humiliate us in that way. Mm-hmm. Segregation didn't humiliate us to that degree that you are so pathetic as a people that we we can we can anybody will do any black face will do it's because all we're after is our own innocence this is the this is the the where white guilt corrupt joins this corruption and that somebody like Kamala Harris in a sense is evidence that America is innocent of racism. That's the that's the the symbiosis between the two. So anybody who who claims to be a, a, a victim of racism 
then sort of sells themselves to the larger public uh, so uh, who, who's interested in achieving this look of innocence. We're not, we're not a racist. Uh, but we're the party that's above racism. Conservatives, uh, are the, they don't have a black candidate to, for high office. Uh, they're racist. Uh, vote for us. And America is so preoccupied with redeeming its racist past that it falls for this. Well, speaking, yeah, no, well, yeah, well, that's right. That's what's happening at the political level, at the philosophical, theoretic, theoretical, and business level. We have uh, people like Ibram Kendi, who I, I think is now perhaps the most famous, certainly well sought, most sought after uh, corporate uh, and educational uh, lecturer, speaker, and instructor on issues race. He writes, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. The moment I saw that um, when I was uh, learning about his work took me right back to George Wallace, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. I was raised to think discrimination was a bad thing. Can you comment on Ibram Kendi's popularity, sir? (laughs) White guilt. Yeah. yeah. Black people don't buy that. Uh, we, 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 here's, here's, some, here's the, a news bulletin, as it were. Racism in America is over with. Okay. It's gone. And you're talking to somebody who grew up when it was thick and heavy. Yeah. I, could, I, I could take hours and t- to go through the impact it had on my life and my family, and what I had to grow up in, what I had to deal with and put up with. Uh, it's gone. The thing that is stunning is that I'm, as a black American, I am completely free. I'm free. I have it. What we longed for in the Civil Rights Movement, King's Day, freedom, promised land. I'm in the promised land. Mm. It's free. I can do anything I want. I can become anything I want. When I was growing up, I couldn't. There were certain streets I couldn't walk down. You couldn't go to the city swimming pool. You couldn't. You ride the bus in the front. You had on and on. Uh, you went to segregated schools where the teachers were inferior. You, everything was stacked against you, openly and without without any embarrassment. That's over. That's gone. You can go anywhere, live anywhere, develop anywhere you want. You can join America. This is now our. Uh, this is my whole message. This is what a what a, a story we can be. We can become of overcoming uh, the freedom that we live in. Is is but but the, the, here's the problem: freedom scares the hell out of you because you're responsible for yourself. We, we didn't have experience for 400 years of being responsible for ourselves in that way. They wouldn't let us be. Now that we are, we're, we're normally, as, you know, as human beings would be, we're scared. What if I mess up? It's going to be on me. It's not going to be on white people. What if I don't develop? What if I'm not competitive? It's, it's, it's going to be on me. It's not going to be on white people. Uh, well... That's what's got. That's the shock of freedom. Mm-hmm. What the hell do you do with it? Mm-hmm. How do you make a life? And, and whites are hovering over, giving you every little silliness 
you know, separate dormitories and all this kind of pathetic because they're they're so guilty. They're so driven. And, yeah, by well, it. and millions of dollars to Ibram Kendi Center at Boston University. Well, I wonder. You know, Larry Elder makes the point that. Racism in America, he says, uh, the um, the demand is far outweighed by the supply, so we invent new things like implicit bias. You say racism right. is over. Systemic racism. Right, systemic Structural racism. Right, right. Uh, and racism is everywhere. And it, and it's, it's so bad it's implicit, right? We don't see it. <laughs> it's so, That's right. right it's, yeah. it, it is. We, we don't see it because it is the norm. It's always present. And in all these discrepancies between blacks and whites, these disparities, uh, systemic racism is, uh, is, is the guilty, the guilty party there. Uh, well, no, the, the guilty party is you're scared of freedom. Mm-hmm. Freedom is the problem. Freedom is what we're struggling with, what we're trying to, to be, to stand up to, to face, to prepare ourselves to handle with. Freedom. We got it. Martin Luther King won. The Civil Rights Movement won. They set us free. It's anything oppression is over with. Uh, I can't say this enough. It's it's the, the message everybody uh, certainly certainly I speak for blacks. Certainly we we're nervous about it. And the first thing we say is, well, gosh, somebody some steel is a. Uh, is neurotic. Is nervous. Uh, he, he's uh, he. You know, they will call us Uncle Tom. We're identifying with the master and so forth. No, I'm identifying with freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's see what you can do now when your life is in your own hands. And I... whites have done a pretty good job, actually, of overcoming racism. Show me another society that's achieved this. I want... There aren't any. I want. I wonder if you see a paradoxical. Bill, are we going to a break here? I wonder if you see a paradoxical um, problem. Maybe we can pick it up on the other side of this break, sir. Where having accomplished that when it comes to African Americans or Black Americans, there is now this paradox that while the left is talking about systemic racism when it comes to the black or African-American community in America that, as you put it, is really over. It's really a diminishing concern. Other kinds of racism and from the left have seemed to crop up. I'm talking about anti-Asian. I'm talking about anti-Jewish. Might you address that on the other side of this break real quick? Sure. I would appreciate it. Dr. Shelby Steele will return with some closing thoughts as uh, we hit uh, this commercial break. Has the effort to reinstitute racist notions in America to keep the race industry alive created racism against other orga- other peoples while it has in fact reduced it with the African American and black communities he'll tell us when we come back Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Dr. Shelby Steele has been our guest for this past hour. Sir, in the um, in the effort that the left is foisting on this country to claim that we are still a, or that we are a systemically racist society, even as racism has dissipated in the black or against the black and African-American communities, has there been a paradoxical increase foisted upon us by the left against other communities like perhaps Jewish or Asian? 
Uh, I I think you know I don't think it I think it comes from this whole sort of fascination with going back to race as a meaningful way to organize society. Okay, it has to do basically with with blacks. Okay, the problem they have is that when when Harvard uh, you know lowers the standards that bring blacks in, that inevitably uh, raises the standard on Asians, for example, uh-huh. who then who have qualified, more than qualified, uh, and so you have to have a quota that holds them down, just as you have a quota that lifts blacks up. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a, a, that's absurd. It's a good way to create more it, resentment, it, it, isn't it? It's a good way to create it, resentment. It, what you, yeah. you, you keep the ugliness of racism. Race is, is, color is always poison to democracy. Yes, sir. You can't ever use it without locking some people out and locking other people in unfairly. It's evil. And for a society that has been through what ours has been through with regard to race, it is painful to to see institutions in American life doing this, using race itself as as a preference for certain groups and so forth, so that you can create an artificial picture of racial innocence. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. Harvard wants to look as though it's innocent and it has moral authority and it is a great institution. No, it's not. They're they're the same as the Klan. Same methodology as the Ku Klux Klan. Well, Dr. Steele, you are a treasure. Um, It was a delight to have you. I hope this can be a down payment for a future visit with us. So appreciate you, sir, your intellect as well as your time with us this afternoon. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Dr. Shelby Steele has been our guest. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.